Merry Christmas. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, if you are new with us, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. And listen, we love it that you're here. If this is your first Sunday, uh, maybe your first Sunday in church in a while, uh, we love it that you are here. That's a big step of faith to come. We, we love it that you've chosen to worship with us to celebrate the Savior we just heard about. Uh, as the kids sang and as they raised the roof, that was nice, huh? As you walked in, that this sermon, that everything today, that you would feel love. Not just hear that you were loved, but my prayer is that you would, you would feel that you were loved as we celebrate Christmas. I, I love the Christmas season. I love it really more than the day. I think it's the opposite for kids, right? The kids are counting down the days till Christmas. And for parents, just kids, a little insight, that stresses us out, right? Because we're thinking about all the stuff we haven't done yet. But I, I love the season. I love starting December 1st. We did our Christmas celebration as a church. December 9th, uh, we had Christmas in Garfield where you, a lot of you, gave generously of your time, your talent, your treasure uh, to bless other people in this community in downtown Phoenix. I love the Christmas season. I love the lights and the music and the movies and the tamales. Amen. Right? I love the Christmas Season almost more than I love the day. But, but here's the thing about the Christmas season. As much as I love it, at some point it ends. Right, psychologists have come up with a term, a phrase to describe what this feels like. It's called the Christmas blues. That when the lights go out, the tree dies, the Christmas songs are no longer fun to listen to. You have the Christmas blues that you get a little lonely, depressed. You think, okay, we've got to start the, the, the new year, and, and not much has actually changed in my life. Like the hope and the nebulous joy that you thought Christmas, this season is going to bring it. At some point, it's lacking, right? I mean, just think about it in your life. What, what Christmas season has brought you true joy, lasting hope, and healing? Was it 2013, the year that all the family members made it to the house? Was it 2014, when all the family members didn't make it to your house? Hey, what year, what Christmas season did you go through it and you came out of it with a lasting hope, an enduring joy, and a healing? You see, the reality is, at some point, the Christmas season is, is lacking. I, I think of uh, Clark Griswold. In Christmas Vacation. Right? You know this movie? Clark Griswold is putting a thousand lights on the house. He's got his son Russ to check every single bulb to make sure it's well lit. Finally, they get all the lights on the house, and they come out to the, to the cold and the snow, and he brings all the family outside, and he, he has this moment where he grabs the two extension cords, and he's about to plug them in. You know this moment? And he says, and he declares, joy to the world. And he lights it. He plugs it in. And what happens? Nothing. Right, the lights don't come on. And I think for a lot of us, Christmas is like that. Right? You get the buildup and the, the joy and the hot chocolate, the tamales. And then it's, it's lacking. Joy to the world. And then it, nothing changes. Nothing happens. The same sin you, you struggle with, you still have in 2018. The same conflict with that family member, it doesn't just disappear. Eventually, you're just like, I actually don't like you. Right? At some point, the season is lacking. And listen, don't hear this. Don't hear this today, the bitter pastor saying the real reason for the season. No, I love the Christmas season. I'm just saying it's not enough. 
Right? We need something more than a season. And so here's what we're going to do our few minutes together this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, where we see the birth of our Savior Jesus. And we're going to see that there is something more. And what I want, here's what I want for you. If you're new to church, if you're not even a Christian, if you've been doing this thing and you come to every Christmas Eve service as long as you have lived, here's what I want for you. As we look at Luke 2, I want you to fix your eyes and set your hearts on a lasting joy, an enduring hope and a true healing that we get as we see the birth of Jesus. We're going to do that in our time together now, uh, but it's not going to end here. It doesn't need to end here tonight. Uh, Here's what I would love for you to do. You should have all gotten one of these, a Christmas Eve devotional as you walked in. It looks like this. Hopefully you got one. Maybe a couple of people hold it up and let me know you got it. Yeah, some of you guys got this. So I wrote this for you because I want you to to see more joy and healing and hope in your life than just a season can provide. And so tonight, here's what I'm going to ask you to do is get together with your family and friends. You're going to be doing that anyway. And take 10 minutes to pull this out and go through it. I, I think it will bless you. I think it will point you to the hope of our Savior, Jesus. And if you're thinking, Tim, I don't do the whole devotional thing. I don't know how to lead that. Maybe as a dad, you're like, I don't know how to do that. I gave you exactly what to do, right? So just read the thing and do exactly what it says and take this time to look forward to Jesus and his birth. But for now, let's look at Luke chapter 2 together. The words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Luke 2, 1 through 11, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let's read this last verse together. Verse 11, you ready? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So let me just catch you up to speed if you're not sure what's going on. We've been going through the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, and we saw the events leading up to this moment right here. In this moment, what is happening is there's a registration. It would be like a census that was ordered by the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus, which required everyone to go to their hometown. And so you have Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents. Joseph is from Bethlehem. We see that in the text. He's from the lineage, the line of King David. King David's from the Old Testament. That's his ancestors are from Bethlehem. So for this registration, this census, Joseph and Mary, Mary's pregnant, remember, they have to make the trek by walking or on donkey to Bethlehem from Nazareth. So that's the the scene that we come to. And scholars tell us this census wasn't just to account for everyone so they could, like, care for them better. It It was really a way for everybody to sign up to make sure they paid their taxes, And so even as we look at Luke chapter 2, the circumstances and the setting of Jesus' birth, here's one truth you can take away already, that God is so good that he can even use taxes 
for his glory and your joy. All right? So in a few months, when you file your taxes, remember that. Okay? So this is the setting. This is, this is what brings about the birth of Jesus, the arrival of God. Now, why go over that? Some of you are thinking, Tim, I've heard this story before. I know. I even know Quirinius. I don't know how to say it, but I know the name. I've heard that before. Well, why go over the setting of Jesus' birth? Well, here's why. Two reasons. First, the Bible is rooted in history. The Bible is rooted in history. You see, this is a real place, in a real time, with real people. It is rooted in history. It doesn't read like myth. If you've never read the Bible, just even this passage will show you there's no once upon a time in this passage, is there? You've got real people, real time, a real place. So the Bible is rooted in history. Second, this is a fulfillment of God's promise, specifically Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament, that the Savior would come from Bethlehem. It's one of over 300 distinct prophecies about Jesus. The foretelling, the coming of Jesus is fulfilled even in this setting. Do you see it? You see, this wasn't a new idea. God wasn't looking around, dumbfounded by our sin and our need and thinking, oh, what could I do? I mean, is, is there a plan? I mean, I don't know. I didn't think they were going to be this bad. Like, God wasn't shocked by your sin or their sin. God had a plan, a promise, and it was Jesus from the very beginning. So listen, don't let a familiar story pass you by this Christmas. I mean, don't miss this, this setting that God's promises are being fulfilled, that this is the moment where history and redemption collide, that this is the moment where, where hope comes down where it arrives to us in the form of a Savior. Don't miss that. I know you've got some presents to open, some family to see, but don't miss this. Right? This is the setting where we get the Savior. Verse 11, the verse we read all together, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And so I just want to ask two questions about this profound truth. The first question is this, why is he saving why is he saving? Well, why a savior and not a politician? I don't know what you said, but I, maybe, yes. Well, why a savior and not a politician? Come on. Because our deepest problem isn't policy, is it? You see, we have different terms of, of presidents and government. And the policies change, but our brokenness remains the same. Have you ever said, and maybe recently, especially because of what's going on in our nation and in our world, man, I don't think it's ever been this bad, has it? You said that? Do you think they said that in World War II? Yeah, I think so. You think they said that in the Civil War? As our nation was divided, you think they looked around and, and people were like, man, I don't think it's ever been this bad. Like, is Jesus about to come back? What's, what's happening here? You see, we've been saying that every year, with every policy, with every president. Because a policy can change, but our brokenness remains. You see, our biggest problem isn't a policy. So Jesus isn't a politician. Why a savior and not self-help? Well, it's because our, our biggest problem isn't behavior. You see, with all the advance in education, psychology, awareness, there's still debt, there's still divorce, there's still destruction in our world. 
And it doesn't matter how many schools Oprah gives us. It doesn't matter how many breathing techniques or strategies we have that are on the national best time, uh, uh, the nation's bestsellers list at, at Barnes & Noble. It doesn't matter how many books you read. We still have death, destruction, debt. So, so why not self-help? Why save you? Well, because our, our biggest need isn't behavior. It's something deeper. And Scripture says that's our hearts. Scripture says that our hearts are marred, maligned by sin, that it's in our nature and that it's in our actions, that our hearts, something is off with our hearts, that a policy can't fix, that self-help can't fix. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus himself, as a man, says this, Matthew 15, that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That scripture tells us and our experience proves we are sinners. And listen, it's not just external, it's internal. It's why I told you a few weeks ago that my daughter, who's two years old, the other day, she kicked my eight-year-old in the face. Right? Now, why did she do that? Because I taught her karate? Because she's seen a lot of violence on TV? Is that why she kicked my daughter in the face? No. She's two years old. She hasn't seen violence on TV. She can't learn karate. You know why she kicked my daughter in the face? Because she is so sweet, but she's oh so sinful. Right? I mean, that's why I'm wearing, I don't know if you can see this. That's why I'm wearing a, a blue rubber band on my ring finger. Because yesterday, my two-year-old stole my ring. Listen, if you see my two-year-old daughter, you're going to think, she is so cute. But listen, she will rob you if you are not paying attention. And so will every other kid, and so will every other person that we, we take for ourselves. We don't naturally give to others. We kick people when we don't get what we want. Not because we learn that. Parents, you all know this. We all know this about ourselves. That, that we get a savior because our deepest problem is a sinful heart. And so that's what Jesus is. He's our savior. He doesn't stay a baby. He dies as a man. 2 Corinthians 5 says it, says it this way. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Just think about that verse. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He was perfect to be sin. He was sin for us, that on the cross, what the, what the cross is about, that Jesus didn't stay a baby, he died as a man. What the cross is about is that on the cross, Jesus absorbs all of your sin, all the consequences of your sin in his own person. Like the mental effects of sin, the physical effects of sin, the spiritual death of sin that Jesus on the cross, he became that for you, he absorbed that for you. You see, Jesus is a savior because our biggest problem is a sinful heart. Listen, this is why it's good news of great joy, as we see in this passage. It's good news of great joy because on the cross, Jesus took every sin, every sin from the day you were born till the day you die, and he paid it in full, and that freely, by his grace, 
as you trust in him, that he forgives you, he accepts you, he wipes the slate clean. And so that today and on the last day, when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees his perfect son. Not because of your works, not because you came to a Christmas Eve service, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because he didn't stay a baby, he died as a man. He absorbed all of your sin, past, present, and future. That's good news of great joy, amen? That's the the hope, the enduring hope, the true joy, the healing that you're after, whether you know it or not. That's the joy that in a Savior is for eternity, is final, that fades in a season. Listen, you need more than a season. You need a Savior. Because that solves our deepest problem. The first question, why? Why is he saving? Because that's exactly what you and I need. The second question is, who is he saving? All right, some of you may be thinking, well, Tim, you don't know what I've done. I mean, I haven't been to church in a while. You guys don't keep attendance here, do you? I mean, you don't know some of my thoughts. I mean, I don't, I don't act upon all of them. I mean, good grief, that would be crazy. But man, I come home at night, and I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to serve people. I don't want to give generously at Christmas time. I mean, I, my thoughts are evil. Like, if I journaled all of them, it would scare me. Like, some of you are thinking that right now. Like, I'm not like the rest of these people. I don't look like the rest of these people. I don't have the background like the rest of these people. I mean, maybe Jesus is saving people like them, but I don't know if he's saving someone like me. And so if that's you, I want you to consider for a moment, who who is Jesus saving? Let's look at the background for Jesus' birth. We talked about this over the last four weeks a little bit, and we saw some of it it in this passage. The background for Jesus' arrival, we have a teenage girl from a tiny town. That's Mary. We have a carpenter, that's Joseph, just a common job. We have Jesus being born in a cave or a barn in a messy manger where animals eat. And listen, kids, the animals poop in there. That's where Jesus is born. That's what a manger is. I don't want to burst your bubble, but the the manger on your mantle, not like the manger in this scene. I didn't smell like the manger in this scene. This is a a messy circumstance. Teenage girl from a tiny town. Carpenter born in a cave in a messy manger. And then I love this. The first visitors are who? The shepherds. Do you know that the shepherds are religiously unclean? The lowest of the low. That their side job was thievery. And who's the first people Jesus shows up to? Shepherds. And we think about how crazy is it that God, in all of his glory, he'd humble himself and he would condescend and he would come to earth and he would leave his throne and he would take on flesh. We talk about, man, how crazy is that? What a gift that is. And listen, it is incredible, but just think about it for a second. God could have come and become a man in that way and done those things in any form. I mean, just think about why did he come as a baby? He could have come as a full-grown man in all his stature. Why does he come as the most vulnerable form of life that we have? Why does he come to a cave? 
Couldn't get a regular house? Couldn't get a palace? Why does, why does Jesus come to a, a cave, a messy manger? Well, why does Jesus come to a teenager from a tiny town and unclean shepherds? He couldn't come to a king or a queen? Uh, forget about that. He couldn't come to just a well-established family in the community who's already married and not engaged? Why does Jesus come from the highest of heights to the lowest of lows? Why is the backdrop for Jesus' arrival so poor, so lowly, so broken, so vulnerable? Why? 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. You see, Jesus set in motion in his birth what he fulfills in his death is that God comes towards sinners, not away from them. Is that God comes towards the broken. He doesn't stand far off. You see, what we see just in Jesus' birth, just the backdrop for his arrival, is that there is no mess in your life. There's no brokenness in your life that God stays far from. That even at his birth, he gets involved. He enters in the mess. He enters in the brokenness. The lowest of the lows. Why? So that you could see 2,000 years later, if Jesus can enter that mess, he can enter mine. He can enter the mess that's, that's in your heart. I, I know a lot of us look nice today. You, you guys dress nice today. I, I put on a jacket. I don't normally do that. We, we look nice on the outside, but I know inside, for some of us, there is fear there's turmoil, there's self-righteousness, there's sin. There's conflict in our hearts. And that even though we look nice externally, that internally, at the very least, we're all a little stressed right now. And that's because we have a sinful heart, a messy, a broken heart. You know who Jesus came to save? You. So, do any of you feel lowly this morning? Do any of you feel vulnerable, broken. You're exactly the person Jesus came to save. That's why it's good news of great joy. Who is he saving? He's saving you. Here's what you have to do is admit that you need saving. Oh, that's hard, right? I, I got to admit that I need saving. I got to admit that I'm, I'm lowly and vulnerable and broken. Yeah. But listen, this is how Jesus saves you. This is how he comes to rescue you, to change your sinful heart, to give you lasting hope and healing and true joy, not just in a season, but in a, a Savior. What fades in a season is final in a Savior. Listen, the season isn't bad. It's not. I, I love the season. I, I love the lights. I, I'm going to love later today. We have three kids, and they are really sweet. And we're going to open up some gifts tonight. We're going to open up gifts tomorrow. We're going to eat uh, an early dinner with some people from church who don't have family in town. I, I love this time of year. We're going to watch the Cowboys game. And they're going to win in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, I love this season. But listen, don't miss the Savior and enjoy just a season. Because the reality is this. I, I love you, and I don't want you to go back to the same old sin to the same old life, to the same old fear, to the same old stress that comes when the lights go down, when the tree is thrown out. I want something different for you. 
I want you to worship a Savior and see his joy and his healing and his hope that never fails or fades. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Tonight, I want you to take that devotional that we gave you. And I want you to get together with your family and friends. Even if they don't know Jesus, I want you to step out in faith and say, listen, I want more than a season. I want to worship the Savior. And so we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at him. Listen, people read the the story of Christmas all the time. They're not going to be offended by that. They're going to be like, that's so weird. Not just take it out and go through it. What I want you to do right now is take your bulletin that you received. That's another thing you received. It's got a purple cover on it. Inside that bulletin is a connect card. And if you were to say today, Tim, if I'm honest, I've been trusting a lot of other things, a season, myself, and not the Savior. And if I'm really honest, if I look back at my life, that's not working out. There's some brokenness that's not getting healed year after year, season after season. And maybe, just maybe, you've never actually trusted Jesus as Savior for the first time. Maybe you've never had your sin absorbed fully and completely and finally by Jesus. And listen, I would implore you today, what a day, Christmas Eve, to trust in Jesus for the first time. Take that Connect card. If you want to do that, if you do that now, take that Connect card. All you have to do is write your name and your email and just say that. Just write that on there. I think there's a prayer request on the back side. However you want to do it, just say, I want to trust in Jesus for the first time. I'd love to pray for you and walk you through that. If you're here and you say, Tim, no, I I am a Christian. I've trusted Jesus as Savior, but even right now, there's some turmoil in your life. You don't have this lasting hope, healing, and joy that we've talked about that the Savior does bring, and you need that to be renewed. You need some distractions in in your life to be um, put away so you can focus on Jesus as Savior. I'd love to pray for you too. And so, so take that Connect card. We're gonna receive an offering in just a few moments. Name, email, that's all you got to put on there, and just say, hey, I want to trust Jesus for the first time, or pray for me. I need to trust the Savior again. I need that to be renewed. Don't let this Christmas season pass without fixing your eyes, setting your hearts on the Savior. He has come. Peace, joy, healing is available to you this morning, to you. Let me pray. Father in heaven. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a familiar, familiar story, God. I pray that it would fall fresh on us this morning. I pray that we would receive it anew. I pray that you would give us eyes to do that, even in this moment. That you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus as Savior. God, you give us this season as a shadow to point us to the Savior. Help us not to miss that, the joy of that. God, in a moment, we're going to receive an offering. We're going to give generously because you gave generously your own son. And so we're going to worship you and and worship the Savior as we give. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember that, Jesus, you didn't stay a baby. You died as a man, forgiving us of all of our sin from the day we were born to the day we die. That's why communion is such a, a special thing to do on Christmas Eve is because you weren't just a baby. You died on behalf of our sin. And that we are fully, finally, and freely accepted in you. That's what we celebrate in communion. And then we're going to sing. And God, I pray that you would help us to sing loudly, with passion, with confidence, because we can trust that you didn't just come to save other people, you came to save us. And that we can have joy even this morning as we sing. Father, help us to worship you as Savior. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.